machine. Welcome back, darling. Kingston Town can't win. He got checked, the champ. It's going to get desperate. But a champion becomes a legend. From, from, from the card leave in the pool. Gate holders months ago. Go red and look at him go. Here he comes. Boom, right over the top. But the boost it is 15, lands clear. She is a good horse, like Harry said. She'll have to pogo stick over the field to win from there. Strike me, Pinky, thread at the eye of the needle. Can he stay up? Head state or closing time. This could be set up for something special. Cassidy hit the pull to win. It's coming again. Dex, Dex, he loves it and wins. What an outstanding racehorse. Welcome to the Racing and Sports in the Office preview podcast. I'm Adam Blanco. No Simon Dinopoulos this week, but as I was for the review show earlier in the week, I'm joined by Brad Bishop in Melbourne. Very pleased to see that I've been uh, recalled back uh, off the back of Monday's um, Fine recording from the car park in England. So <laughs> um, that one must have been well received by those that make the decision. So looking forward to a massive week uh, weekend of racing. Really interesting trying to work out the... Um, big races in particular on Saturday. We know we're going to be dealing with a, a wet track in Sydney, but how wet's the track going to be down here in Melbourne? That's uh, what we're trying. We've got to try and get our heads around. Well, thankfully, we've got a man on the scene. So you're down there. <laughs> how is the uh, how is the weather holding up? I'm I'm in Flemington these days. Is um you need a uh, you need Sydney like rain? I would I would imagine to to have an effect on Flemington these days. Yeah, there's much sadness in our house. This is the first round of the under-13 finals in the Gisborne District Cricket Association, and it looks like there's going to be oh, a no. washout oh, on no. the Saturday. So the young fellow's not too happy because most of the rain that is going to fall is predicted to happen overnight tonight and through the morning tomorrow. Now, that's not good for the under-13s cricketers in the GDCA, but it's good for those that want to have a play at Flemington because... Um, uh, well, as we saw with like Cross Counties Melbourne Cups, the, the best example to yeah. refer to regarding a big dump of rain before the meeting starts, and like that day was run, the first race was run in rain, and then it sort of stopped after that, and we got I think it was a soft five or a soft six. The track ended up being come Melbourne Cup time, so uh, the rain heavy in the morning, but fingers crossed will have stopped by the time the meeting starts. Worst case scenario, probably just um, some showers throughout the afternoon. So, given that we're predicted to cop 25 to 30 mils um, tomorrow, the silver lining is that it's meant to happen before the uh, most of it's meant to fall before the meeting starts. So, um, I think most of those that have sort of plotted it um, a lot more closely than I are doing their form for for soft tracks for the majority of the meeting. So, that's uh, that's pretty promising, I think. Yeah, I think I. Off the top of my head, I think it's you're going back to almost exosphere running down the slow lane. Feels like the last time Flemington raced with any demons whatsoever. So it's um, yeah, I think when you when you turn up to Flemington or just a, just about all the all the Melbourne tracks, in truth, when you turn up there, you um, as a general rule, don't have to worry too much about about things like that. So I think it's all guns blazing into this Australian Guineas meeting, and it's a deep Guineas too. I think it probably. The two guineas, in a sense, probably follow suit a little bit in in that the recent trend has been for the Ramwick guineas to have a um, a higher rated star going in, but not quite have the same depth as the Australian guineas. So if you look back at at ratings going into the guineas, the um, the winner of the Ramwick guineas has tended to be a little bit higher rated than the Australian guineas going in, but the rating that it's required to win both guineas has been much the same. And and again this year the stage is set for that to to follow. So Animo is obviously the 
the star attraction in, in both guineas there. He's rated 123 by time form, but um, it falls away a bit quicker after him in, in the Ramwick edition, whereas this Australian guineas is, I think I've got seven horses that are rated as highly as what a Guineas winner over the last half a dozen years has been rated going in. So that sort of speaks to the, the depth of the race there. So it's a, um, yeah, it's a deep and interesting Guineas, that's for sure and certain. Yeah, absolutely. The um, Profondo lobbing on our doorstep is um, fantastic for the race and fantastic that it goes going to Flemington. But what it does, it just adds another element of intrigue mm. and uncertainty to the race because there's, there's no shortage of people wanting to pot him or take him on and you can understand like he's had the trial on Monday, he's got to travel down, uh, the report's on Friday morning uh, that he travelled fantastically down from Sydney but he's still got to back that up, he's first up at Flemington he's got the outside gate, the jockey that's never ridden there before and he's also a horse that's only had three starts and he, he's tended to do some things wrong in his runs as well so there's still some rough edges to be knocked off him so there's no shortage of things that you can point to if you want to try and pot him but on class alone He's probably the best horse in the race. Yeah, just about. We've got Hitotsu and Profondo. It's amazing how similar they are, both being these, you know, exciting young young horses who won middle distance or even a little bit further middle distance races in, in the spring there. And yeah, the the similarities go right through to their ratings as well. So they're both rated hundred and eighteen identical. So that's um I mean, they are taking on a, a similar pack of horses there and one similarly well. So it's, you know, of course they're gonna be rated close to each other, but the fact that they're rated to the pound, exactly where they they are, is is very interesting. I, I'd probably line up. I don't. I mean, travelling down, I wouldn't be too worried about that. I mean, if you if you crawl over you know, Sydney to Melbourne, that if you um if you crawl over the results and and do the stats on that, you'll you'll almost come to the conclusion that putting them on a truck makes them faster. So um, I won't imagine that the the travel is anything you could be overly concerned about. Of course, there'll be you know exceptions to the rule but Sydney horses in Melbourne is a is a positive angle as a as a general rule so I wouldn't be too worried about that but it is a, a big ask for him all the same coming here I wouldn't think he'll be able to be off that that last start peak to win it it's going to take that sort of performance now the thing about that is that Profondo and Hitotsu are both probably expected to prove better than that rating in time that's for both of them it was sort of the Derby and the Spring Champion, they, they announced themselves as potential stars, both rated 118, but I don't think anyone thought that those wins were sort of the the cherry on top. They were the, the starting points to, to where they might get to. So I think we, we'd be hopeful that, well, hopeful that both of them turn up and, and run right up to those figures or, or even better, but we'd be certainly hopeful that, that at least one of them does. And, and if they do, they're, they're in the finish. So that's really, I think that's step one in assessing this Guineas is which one of those two do you think can come here and, and fire first time out? Yeah, I've learnt my lesson with Hitotsu. I could not possibly have backed him in the derby last year, going from the 1,600 up to 25 at just his third run for the campaign. Paid the price there. I'm not, I haven't got him on top in the, the Guineas tomorrow, but I'm certainly not ruling him out. Captivant's the one that, um, really intrigued me. He's two 1,600 metre runs. He's champagne stakes winner at two when he's been beaten by, by Animo by a head in the um, Caulfield Guineas last spring. And that form is pretty good for a race like this. So uh, he's one that's right towards the top of my tree. Pinstripe as well. I'm fascinated by your take on him because he's another one of the, the here and now. Had the couple of runs back. Looks like uh, he's been trained to peak for this race whereas probably Hitotsu and Profondo might not necessarily have been that. So I'm interested in your take on how Pinstripe might measure up against these 
horses. Yeah, well, he'll measure up. That's uh, that's for sure and certain. The the Hayes has been the lead up in the you know in recent times and probably further back than recent times. But six of the last seven winners through the through the Hayes, several of them Grunt and Alligator Blood and, and a couple of others have have done the double. Um, obviously, Luna Fox last year was technically a, another winner for the Hayes, but he was a he's a hard horse to use him as a, a pattern for anything. But um, it was a good haze this year. You're right about Captivant. He was warming up nicely. And the interesting thing about the um, – and the thing about Captivant, you, you make a point about his mile record. It just all feels really solid with, with Captivant. And that Caulfield Guinea – I mean, the Caulfield Guineas is such an obvious form reference to this with, with so many of the key chances having run there. Um, so that Caulfield Guineas rating is as good as there is in the race. So Captivant's sitting there ready to, to run that, you would think. The interesting thing about the haze is that – Pashiro got the, like loose on the lead, if you like it. You could probably, to the eye, think that he was going quickly, but Damien Lane was just getting it absolutely right, pretty much out in front there. If anything, he was he was getting a bit of a soft time of it out in out in front there. So he kicked away Pashiro and Pinstripe ran him down. I think Pinstripe was better positioned to to that pace than than the other two big runs there. Captivant warming up nicely and forgot you. He, we gave him the we gave Zara the the Taylor Pendrith award for his effort on on forgot you there. He, he missed the boat and came roaring at the the finish. He was terrific late splits there that said, to me anyway, they said he was about as good as the winner on the day and, and probably improves more now. I think the thing about Forgot You for mine is that he's a, he's a miler. So it was a, a scrappy win, if you like, on, on Cox Plate there, day there in, in the Vars and then he raced flat as attack, which was pretty easy to foresee, I think, in, in the derby. But I don't think he wants... I don't think he certainly wants the Derby trip. I don't think he necessarily wants 2,000 either. I think he's a, a sharper horse than that and a miler, and I think they've probably figured that out this time in and, and set him for that. So from that that haze, I, I thought Pinstriped was probably advantaged, but at the same time, I don't want to um, I don't want to be too negative about a horse that's three for three and, and put up a really good haze winning performance, you know, well up to scratch haze winner. And as I said, that's that's sort of been the the form in recent years. But forgot you was was really interesting for for me through that. He also ties back into that Caulfield Guineas where he finished hot on the heels of Hitotsu there in in that fast Guineas. So it it all ties in in a way. Um, I made same colours Hitotsu and and forgot you in a very competitive Guineas. I made them equal favourites at, at the top there. So yeah, to answer your question about the haze, um, I think it's an interesting race to to study from a pace perspective and. I think Forgot You settles a lot, lot closer this time in and, and blends into the race, you know, with a chance to win this time and, and I think he's got a, a terrific chance of winning it. Yep, he, and he's there to win on Saturday as well. Like We've got three tops in this race, the three at the top of the page. They've already um, got their group one, but this, this is another one that would even further bolster their uh, prospects at stud. But then you've got the likes of Forgot You who's won that they're desperate to get a group one. There's not many um, um, of his ilk that um, are at stud, the sons of Savabil. So he'd be of immense imp- uh, importance if he was able to get this group one on the board. And I, I think it has been a definite target from the stable to have him ready to go second up at the 1,600 metres. So I think it's something else to, to take into account. And I've got him in the top three as well. Yeah, I just think he's a, as I said, I think it's the right race for them to be targeting with him as well because I think he is a miler. And I think he's a, a, you know, I think he's a strong like wind-up miler. I think he's a Flemington miler, basically. I think the the typical race shape at, at Flemington plays to his strengths a little bit as well. So um, the race shape is actually interesting because there's not a lot of obvious speed. I assume lightsaber is going to jump. That's got to be um, that's step one. Well, 
yeah, well, let's see. So you've got to take many things into account with Lord mm-hmm. Sabre these days. A, whether he's going to go in, and B, how he's going to come out. So um, it was interesting, Peter Moody said um, during the week that he's had absolutely no issues like that with this horse until this campaign. So not sure what sort of remedial work they might have undertaken there, but it's it's significant um, for the way the race is going to unfold because it completely changed the the way the the group one unfolded um, when he did go around last time out. um, And it's... Yeah, might have a similar, similar, similar same proceedings this weekend. Yeah, and he also had an impact on the the Hayes without even coming out of the stalls because he not only did he take a little bit of pace out of out of that race, and as I said, it ended up with with Pashiro getting a, a perfect ride from um, without you know getting into a beautiful flow really under Damien Lane there, but um, he'd also been well backed in that. Yeah, I think he was about you know he was about ready to start favourite and pinstriped had been very soft in the betting having been short in the the earlies all week, so. Um, he was fancy to do something there, and obviously he he ties right on him with that that Caulfield Guineas run. Says you know he was just in front of Hitotsu and and forgot you. I'm sort of thinking that he's a bit less sparky at, at that rating. I've got him basically with the same rating next to his name as as Pinstriped, but with less you know obviously less upside. He's had far more opportunity to to get to that level. So I'm sort of thinking something leapfrogs him now, and I, I don't think he's the sort of horse I see sort of jumping off the page at, at this point in his career. And, of, of course, when you price him up, you've, you've sort of got to be factoring in that, you know, he's missed runs and, and had his had his setbacks, if you like, this this preparation as well. But his angle, I think, is is that pace angle. So that's interesting. The other little pace angle we should touch on, and I should mention, because I've, I've got him shorter than the early betting as well, and I think he's actually away from those those sort of top fancies, if you like. I think he's the, the best knockout in the race for mine is, is Ranch Hand. I think he's a, an interesting switch down to, to Melbourne now. He's been good. He was... You know, really competitive, obviously, with with Paul Laley there first up, and and then just on the heels of of the Hobartville horses there last time as well. So I've got two really solid figures there. He'll need to do better. There's no doubt about that. It's going to take a bigger rating from from him to to win here. But one try mile inconclusive wasn't going as well at that point, but he was pretty sharp in in the spring at the sun, and he's kicked off at least as well in in two runs, and I suspect he's been set for this as well. So I think he can pinch up into the first three or four there, Ranch Hand, and he's got that speed. If they, um, if the pace does set settle down slower than par, I think he could end up in a really good spot and he's a horse with the speed to make the, the most of that, being a good sort of 12, 1400 metre horse who I think will stay a mile. Yeah, well, interesting first go out for the 1600 metres. And speaking of Colts who could do with a group one on their CV, a son of... Fastnet Rock, there'd be no shortage of interest in him if he was able to beat a field as good as this um, in the Australian Guineas. So many, many interesting factors around that race there tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, as I said, it's a, it's a deep Guineas. It's not a Guineas um, where you can sort of sit sit back, lean back and stamp one and say, this is the, um, I'm absolutely certain that this should be favourite and and away we go. It's a, it's just a matter of price. I think there's there's debate to be had over who even jumps favourite in that race. So a, a deep and, and really interesting guineas, which is not the case up in Sydney, Brad, where, um, as I said before, it's a much pointier guineas, and the history of the Ramwick guineas has has been that way. There's a there's a big dog there, and, and he's fairly obvious, and that's that's Animo. He's he's favourite. So I suppose step one in in Melbourne is who should be favourite. Step one in in Sydney is what price should this favourite be, and that's that's Animo. I am absolutely fascinated by the fact that he's going around um, up there. What it suggests to me is that Godolphin thinks he's an absolute swimmer because 
uh, they know they're going to be dealing with a wet track. Uh, they've known that for a little time. Um, it's never been spoken about that he might do a profondo and come to Melbourne to, to dodge the wet. Um, so I, I like the fact that they're actually staying up there and they're, they're going to have a crack at it. it. He's been around on soft tracks on four occasions, never finished further back than second. He's got a pretty good overall career record, so you, you won't find too many races where he's he's been down the track anyway, but that Cox Plate, that was run on a soft five. It's going to get worse than that up there tomorrow. Um, he's got two wins as well on soft ground. He's pretty good on, on good tracks, but um, I get the impression that they're very confident in his ability to handle the wet ground because the 1,600-metre group one third up has been the goal right from the start of the campaign. Um, and the fact that they're going to have a crack in Sydney makes me think that they can win this round with guineas, whether it's a good four or whether it's a heavy 10. So um, I'm not all that keen to pile in into him at the price, but uh, I can't come at trying to try and find anything to beat him. Yeah. my th- I basically see any obvious favourite, and my first thought is how am I going to knock this thing off? So my first thought was that I I could. I think the, the big thing that and you make a good point animo's big tick he's he's sort of shtick if you like is that he's been super reliable so he's gone on all ground he's he's gone on all trips and his his ratings are he's not got the the big peak rating that some of these sort of star cults if you like have he's as i said 123 rated by time form which isn't huge i got asked during the week actually interesting and asked me um I think there might be an article by Ray Thomas in the the Daily Telegraph today about his animo like the best cult since Piero. I thought, wow, that's a um, you know, that's a stupid question because he's no, he's nowhere near it. There's been and I quickly looked it up and there's sort of twenty five or something like that that have been rated higher. But of those twenty five and stack of them, you know, there's a lot of good good horses in in that twenty five. Of course, one thing he does have that that stood out from Piero to now was the fact that, sure, at 123, he sits a long way below these 125, 6, you know, you're a Stearns and I think Brazen Bow was in there and a swag of other good ones who don't spring to the top of Exosphere. A couple of other Blue Jackets, Bivouac was in there as well. Um, he doesn't have the peak that they have. His form, you know, beating Captive on in the, you know, it was a fast guineas for sure and certain, but, it, you know, he edged out Captive on in a really truly run race. He, you know, Nothing between him and state of rest, but state of rest is, you know, as, again, we're low 120s, not high 120s in, in both of those performances. But what he had done is run to 120 or better four times up to the order, up to now, which is um, no horse had actually, of all those 25 Colts, none of them had actually been able to do that. I think the Autumn Sun might have done it twice. Bivouac three times had, had been the best of them. I think Extreme Choice had done it three times. A few had done it three, but his. He's done it four times, which is actually the most since Piero. Now, Piero did it seven times before March in his three-year-old season. So he went into the autumn having already run over 127 times and his sparring partner all too hard had done the same. He'd run it seven times as well. So he's not in their ballpark for peaks or consistency. They were both rated 128 and 129. So he's, you know, he's a mile short of those sort of horses. But what he has done is proven to be really, really reliable um, and go on any ground. So... When I wanted to line him up, put him in the crosshairs and knock him off with one here, and I think it's very reasonable to make the case off the Hobartville that Halal was every bit as good as him there. He's, you know, if you, his closing splits were fantastic. Halal, he, he was terrific from a hopeless spot first up as well. So he set, he set himself up to go to a new peak, and he did it in the Hobartville Halal. So as I said, you can make a case, and it can be really tempting to say, okay, I'm going to back Halal because the talent edge 
probably isn't as big as what the the betting is saying, but that versatility and reliability of Animo makes him hard to oppose, I think. And it's that Cox Plate run in that was testing ground. I I know that it's going to be heavy, heavy there tomorrow, but it won't be. If it's like last week, it, last week wasn't actually that much more testing by my measure of things than what things had got to by that stage of Cox Plate Day at the Valley when it had poured. So, um, and Mooney Valley these days is um it's probably in need of a reno. In truth, it's it's lost its um ability to to cope with rain on the day and and to coincide with Mooney Valley's getting wetter than it used to get and getting heavier than it used to get. It's um proceeded to cop huge thunderstorms the last four times they've had a feature meeting there, which has been good. Um, <laughs> well, and yeah, even Mooney Valley would back up what you're saying there about the Renault because this track reconstruction was meant to have already happened by now, yeah. but there were several factors that resulted in it being pushed back um, a couple of years. So the track was going to be completely uh, refitted and, and um, redone. So even they would be in, in agreement that it's a bit tired and a little bit worn um, and uh, timing has not been great either. As it hasn't on at all. They've but been very if, stiff. If the, if the rain stayed away, no one would be talking about how tired the Mooney Valley track was, but um, because that's just coincided with some of these feature meetings, um, unfortunately it's had a big impact. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, as a good track, when it's good, it's good as ever. It races fantastic. It just, as you say, it's it's it probably in need of a little bit of work and, and yep, as you say, they were probably well aware of that, but it's um, the last thing they need is rain on the day at the Valley these days. And so, of course, they've copped it and they've copped it. Not just a little bit either. They've copped it. it All Star Mile and two Cox plates have been absolutely hammered with rain. So, um, yeah, that was testing ground, as I said. So, so Animo's got through it there superbly, and he's just so reliable. And it it means that um, look, I, I made him five to four instead of four to five, which he is in the early betting. But I, I assume that it will probably sort of meet somewhere in the middle, and it'll be flick of a coin odds come the the jump. And whilst I won't be um, I won't be backing him. I, I'm sort of going a little bit chilly on the idea that I should be out trying to get him beat. I think, you know, the market lines them up behind him about right. Halal, as I said, terrific. He, he just probably has to go now to another level to actually convert and knock Animo off. And he's probably got a, a longer left-hand tail, if you like, in his distribution of, of likely ratings. So, um, yeah, he's certainly less likely than Animo to, to win the race for all that he's, he's going really, really well. And, um, you know, he's got that... He's got good mile form as well. He was in that same champagne as, as Cap Devant where he um there was nothing between them that day and he took a while to find his feet in the spring, but when he found them he was good and then yeah, as I said, I think he's gone to a new level this preparation. And Converge, um he was probably another one that, you know, I briefly considered this could be my um this could be the ammo to to take down Animo, but I really think Converge is a two thousand metre horse. He's just humming along really nicely looking for further. He gets that here, he gets the mile here and he's his mile run up in Brisbane, he absolutely spanked them in the, the JJ Atkins up there. But tougher again. This will need an even bigger figure again. I think he's ready to run at least to that sort of form, maybe even a little bit better. But I'm not sure. It's still going to require Animo to at least, you know, maybe go backwards, not even, you know, and not improve. And I think he will improve third up Animo. I think he's being brought through nicely enough. Even though I would say, and I have said that Animo's two runs this preparation, nothing wrong with them. Pass marks, but. Um, only pass marks. He hasn't. Um, he hasn't impressed. I, I wouldn't have said. He's, yeah, even though he's won a Hobart Village, run two nice figures. He's. Um, he certainly hasn't exceeded expectations. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting race out, outside of Animal in particular. In term, because I think um, some of these the others like the likes of Converge and Halal, while they've got 
form on wet tracks. Probably prefer to see them on, on top of the ground as well. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a very hard equation for me to try and work out, especially when we're dealing with a short price favourite. Yeah, Converge is, is massively interesting as well because I, I Rose Hill Guineas, I think, is going to be his day. And hopefully when he gets there, it'll be Profondo and Hitotsu off big runs win or loss, big runs in the in the Australian Guineas and, and the Rose Hill Guineas will set up as a, a real betting race because Animo, I assume, will probably go elsewhere. I think Animo's got to be a chance of going right to Queen Elizabeth or maybe even just Queen Elizabeth. I'm not I'm not sure. But I wouldn't have thought the Rose Hill Guineas would necessarily be on Animo's radar and I almost hope it isn't because I want to see that clash between those 2,000 metre horses and I want to see Converge in a, in a race where I can really screw him down and, and mark him nice and short and have a bet. Um, there's a few other nice horses in that race but they're just so far off ratings wise that it's hard to model them taking that sort of leap we spoke about the other day geez there's some frank packer plate horses in this there's some nice uh <laughs> simba war eternal sword point they've all um they've all just broken through the the hundred mark there on on time form scale raging bulls are a nice horse for a bit further as well and he's over the hundred mark but even military experts over the hundred mark he's probably a carbine club horse are they betting pre-post on the carbine club I don't know, but this Frank Pack, it's going to be the race in the oh, It always is. It always is because I've always got about 10 going there. But, um, yeah, I, look, it's hard to it's hard to see them. Certainly can't see any of them jumping Animo if he's on and if he's off, then they've you know then you need Converge off, then you need Halal off and even to some extent Coast Watch off, although there wasn't really anything to Coast Watch's first up win other than the fact that he, he carried a, a bit of mine. There wasn't a lot to, to take away from, from that win first up. It was very much just a win. But his Golden Rose run says that he, he ties in. He obviously ties in a bit with um, with Halal as well. But uh, I thought the early market did the right thing by saying, nah, not him. He's he's outside that, that top bracket coast watch despite a, a few little form lines that suggest otherwise. But yeah, I've got doubts that, doubts that him at uh, the 1,600 metres as well and then probably even going to be more of a test with the conditions that we're dealing with. So I'm happy yep. for him to go around without me. Yep. No, I think, um, as I said, I, th- I think you could make a trendy little case around him, but I, I think it would be um, clutching a little bit, clutching to that Golden Rose rating essentially, which did seem start odds on or just a sh- shade of black figures against Halal, but Halal knocked him off and said, I think Halal's a, a better horse, has improved since and is a better horse now. So I think the early market does the right thing there. So the... Um, the Canterbury is the other wet track group one, and I think the Canterbury, it must be said, was a um, one of those races that was really good as a strong group two and um, probably should have stayed that way. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was uh, lucky to get the upgrade. But what, what I'll also say is they've been a little bit unlucky with the weather. So yeah. the conditions weren't so bad. They were going to have lost and running, and they were going to have Zaki. And then that, this race, it's a whole new complexion and level of interest on it if you've got those two horses going around in that it's hardly a who's who of Australian sprinting um, when we look at the market. Forbidden Love, Lighthouse, Private Eye, Laws of Industries and then you're at the special reward at $16. I think if we were trying to formulate the field two months ago, I don't think these are the sort of, sort of horses that we would have come up with as being going around in this 1300 metre group one worth 500000 bucks. No, not... Um you could have said, oh, it was a heavy track, so this lighthouse that's won on the heavy at Kyneton might be a, a goer for the Group <laughs> 1 in Sydney. <laughs> I did see Lighthouse was um, flagged up as the, the wet track was a big bonus for her and that's why she would, you know, why she should fit in up, up there in, in the Group 1. I did think she, as, as admirable and as much as I like Fine Dane, 
smacking up on fine day and at Kyneton isn't exactly heavy track form for a Group One, is it? No, <laughs> she hasn't done a whole. She hasn't done a whole lot wrong in the run since then, as well. Though um, you've got uh, a Group One second placing last time out. The Barton Stakes um, things just didn't necessarily work out her way. So, and she's won all those. She's won the other races as well. Won at Ballarat impressively. A couple of wins at Flemington. Excuses at Caulfield, and then. Second in her group one last time out. So she's either one or she's um, been competitive or unlucky. So um, they are absolutely desperate to get a group one on the board with this horse. It was interesting hearing Kieran Ma say a couple of weeks ago when he was having a chat to one of our guys, Craig Brennan, I think it was, that um, the All-Star Mile was absolute no certainty for her. She'd been voted into the race, but they were not committed to running in it because it's all about group ones with her and, the Coolmore was the race that they identified as where she was likely to head. And lo and behold, she bobbed up here in the 1,300-metre Canterbury Stakes. So I think it, there's a bit of stable confidence that she's going to relish the conditions up there and they see this as potentially an even more winnable option than the Coolmore for her. So I think that's something that needs to be taken into consideration when assessing her prospects on Saturday. Yep, absolutely. I think they've uh, probably her and Forbidden Love, of, you know, this probably wasn't, planned a month ago for, for either of them, but they've two smart decisions from two smart stables to, to go, hang on, this is, um, everything's changed here. As you say, Zaki goes, particularly lost and running goes, lost and running was one like an absolute bomb first up and had an absolute stranglehold on this race. Maybe now he has a stranglehold on the new market, I I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it, it certainly changed complexion and, and now you, you've got two horses there looking for that opportunistic group one. I thought Lighthouse got a really nice opportunity Opportunity last time as as well there mentioned before lightsaber bombing the the kick there in in the oar and it took the pressure right out of that race Tefane made the most of it and, and lighthouse to, to some extent made the most of it as well to to run second there so i've got forbidden love running a little bit better than lighthouse last start and that was on the the heavy there last week so that seems a, a real like for like piece of form with forbidden love so i to that extent i understand why forbidden love is is as popular as she is in in the early betting because Seven days ago, we saw her win in you know, great heavy track figures there last week. I know this is there's a lot more depth here, but she did bomb up there last week, Forbidden Love. So I, I get the appeal there. As I said, I think that was a slightly better run than than Lighthouse. So I get the I get the shuffle there. I've actually got Lighthouse a, a little bit bigger than that, but I think Laws of Indices is one that I've marked equal favourite with Forbidden Love. Laws of Indices, and I thought he was fantastic first up from a a hopeless position in the running there. He was snicked back to last from the, the wide draw and, and just allowed to sort of blow the cobwebs off, if you like. But um, that was behind Lost and Running. And I love the way he, he hummed through the line there. As I said, never a never a winning threat, but great through the line. And he's got form. Admittedly, his best form hasn't come on ground that's as testing as what he's likely to, to cop there tomorrow. But he has plenty of wet track form overseas. And it was... Um, on the soft side of good when he when he won his group one at Deauville as well. And that rating would certainly stretch Forbidden Love. I think he can he can jump her. And as I said, I he wasn't at his peak first up. He wasn't quite at his peak in, in the Golden Eagle as well, but he's got two good runs. I've got them 112, 110 in his two runs in Australia and 118 overseas. I think it's very easy to envisage and to model him running right up around that number now. And in a very weak group one, I think that's probably just about good enough to win it. And I don't have too many concerns about the wet tracks. So um yeah, I thought Laws of Indices at sort of that six dollar mark in the early in the early betting was was pretty interesting because there's um there's bits and pieces away from them all, but I, I thought that you know 
none of them, if Laws of Indices turns up and runs his race, are particularly likely to knock him off. Colding, obviously, at one point in time, has been good enough and is good enough, but he's, I think, basically known as a wet track duffer, Colding. So early early market says no. I, I'm happy enough to just follow the follow everyone else's lead on that one. Private eyes in, in the betting and, and did win really well with good splits first up last prep, but he's no better than... Dallasan, who's probably not a first-up horse, Dallasan these days, but um, I thought the gap in between the pair of them in the in the betting was interesting. Um, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna toss up Dallasan to get your thoughts on him because in, in any normal case you wouldn't really consider him in a thirteen hundred meter group one first mm. up. But given we're not talking about the absolute A graders of Australian sprinting here, and what is really interesting with this horse, his last three runs in Sydney have resulted in a third placing in the Epsom, a third in the Queen Elizabeth, and a third in the Doncaster. So you can quite easily mount a case yeah. that he's a much better Sydney horse. He's got um, good soft track form. He's never been on a heavy. But the soft track stats suggest that um, it's not something he's going to detest. So $26 um, about him in what looks a wide open race for a horse that's going to handle the wet and has performed above his Melbourne performances when he does go up to Sydney. I think he's worth just a little each-way bet there at the 26 bucks. Yep, I've heard dumber ideas than that, that's for sure. Um, yeah, let's see, he's not, he hasn't been a first-up horse in, in recent times, so I sort of get that he's you know he's not fitting in there with the, the main market chances, but he, he does have that little knockout vibe, and he, as you say, he's um, the best of his form is, is terrific for a race like this. In fact, it's as good as anything he can, can offer. So it's it's just a case of him turning up anywhere near it, which is, yeah, unlikely. But at $26, you can afford to be wrong 25 times. Uh, yep. So, yeah, I can I can absolutely see the appeal in that because, you know, he makes more appeal to me than horses who are more likely to run well, like Special Reward or, or you know, a few horses like that. Like Special Reward will run really well, but it, it's very hard to envisage him turning that good run into a winning run. And the thing about punting is you don't get paid on good runs you got to win so you know those those horses that are, are reliable and, and expected to to run really well like a special reward but do not win very often are um yeah they're easy to sort of be a bit more dismissive of than dallasan who's you know there's a there's every chance he runs last dallasan for sure because it's just not his race and it's you know he, as i said not a first up performer but there is um there's a number on the roulette wheel where he hits hits his peak and um he actually pays. So, you know, I can see siding with him having some positive outcomes. Fingers crossed uh, the roulette, um, the roulette <laughs> is tomorrow. Fingers crossed number four comes up. Uh, four black, I think it is, um, yeah. in the Canterbury stage. Well, he's a likeable hey, horse as well because we... he fronts up to everything. And um, he's probably, I mean, I remember he used to be, a there was, as a three-year-old, spring three-year-old there, he was the... The trendy cool horse, wasn't he? But he, he obviously didn't, yeah, he didn't do enough winning. Hill. Yeah, and didn't do enough winning and, and in the end and, and because he took on all these big fights, there's a lot of really good runs there without winning. But um so he sort of loses these uh his appeal, I guess, to the punters because he's putting nothing in their pockets, but he's raced really well in on occasion, as you say, those particularly those those big grand finals that he's been set for in Sydney, he's run really well in. So he's um I think he's yeah, I think he retains all his ability for all that he's he's stopped winning. The, the interesting part of the, the card up in Sydney is there's a Group One sprint race. The 1300 metres falls into the sprint category. It's worth 500 thousand bucks. But the two best sprinters that are going to be going around in Sydney, they're going around on the undercard yeah. in the thousand metre challenge stake. What do we make of that? Down to a field of five as we speak. 
Nature Strip and Eduardo, I think um, everyone would be shocked if one of those two didn't win. How do, uh, how do you assess that race? Yeah, match race. That's what it looks like. And interesting, you know, you don't want these sort of fields all the time, but every now and then they're a bit of fun, aren't they? And, and I think that's, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them sort of pair off and, and match race each other. Eduardo's knocked him off. Nature Strip's last two second up runs, he's, he's gone and been knocked off. And he's last by Eduardo. And his last three second up runs, his rating has dipped. But over the years, if you've tried to um, fit Nature Strip into a box, you've tried to stuff him into a pattern box and say, this is what Nature Strip does, you've you've been made a fool of time and time again. He was, um, for a long time, he was a fresh is best, and then he was a doesn't go fresh, and then he was a second up specialist, and now he's a second up dipper, and... Yeah, it's it's hard to stuff him into a box. But what Nature Strip did do first up from a break was run to a higher rating than I th- envisaged. Even when you consider that he you know he got wiped out at the start. So what would he have run to had he, you know, had everything gone to plan? He might have been right at his peak first up, which is a real surprise to me. And Eduardo was at the other end. Eduardo, I think, you know, I had it in my head that he'd go there breathing fire, Eduardo, and he ran right to the bottom of of my expected range of, of values there. So Certainly, I think the, the betting makes the right call in, in making Nature Strip the, the clear favour of the two. If you play a little bit of a Monte Carlo madness, which I like to do, um, using recent ratings, you, you get it's basically 80 20 Nature Strip. So that'd, you know, that'd tell you that you can, if that's the game you like playing, that you can go and take the $1.60, $1.65 Nature Strip, and it's probably not bad betting. But if you do um, get a little bit creative with it and, and just run them off second up ratings, I think it, it almost comes back to square or even slight edge to Eduardo if you if you do it off the last sort of couple of years and, and just second up ratings. might be more like 50-50. So um, I suppose for those people who want to uh, throw some cash into the match race, that's that's the sort of which angle do you take, just straight form or second up form because um, you could make a bet out of either of them based on one of those two angles. But, yeah, interesting, you know, as I said, you don't want them every week, but... Um, a little thin match race like this is a bit of fun for a, for a one-off. Yeah, I remember one like this um, oh, about 20 years ago. Um, Tester Ross of Reduce Choice in what was then known as the Ascot Vale Stakes. And there were, I think, a field of four went around. And there was a horse called Spargo at 50 to 1 that blew them all out. So it does happen. It can it, happen. It, it's got this sort of feel about it in terms of the makeup that um, there's two absolute standouts. I'm not predicting that anything else in the race is going to be able to win, but funnier things have happened. In racing, um, turning the radar back to Melbourne, uh, Zaki. What do we do with Zaki? I find it fascinating that he's bobbed up in the sixteen hundred meter blamey stakes when the thirteen hundred meter Canterbury was touted as his first up run all along. He, he puts a bit of a spanner in the blamey works from my point of view because, as we touched on in the review podcast earlier in the week, inspirational girl looks to be ticking over beautifully, and she would be. Um, you, you might nearly produce the M word to her if Zaki wasn't in that race there on Saturday. Yeah, I desperately wanted to, to find her in there. And even when I saw him in there, I was I was ecstatic because I was you know, I basically spent the whole spring trying to trying to get him beat, mostly three out of four times without success. But um, disappointingly, the, the market actually finds Inspirational Girl and screws her right down there. Blinkers on, Flemington Mile. She's had two runs in Melbourne, though, both Caulfield 1400. She's hummed home in both of them, but that's, Awful spot for her, Caulfield 1400, because it, it just doesn't play to a horse like her at all. So she's done more than enough in her, her two Melbourne runs. We get to see her now with a run under the belt for the first time on, on the East Coast, and it's the Flemington Mile. It's where, you know, 
it's the the exact track and distance where you want to see her and, and she can run a big peak. And the problem is, like I was saying before, you've, you've got to get paid. So she can you can back her here, she can turn up, she can run a big peak and you can be really proud of yourself because you modelled her perfectly and, yep, fantastic. She's gone right to her Perth best. Even I can envisage her running a little bit better than her Perth peaks and you can do that and still get beaten two lengths by Zaki here because he just has a, as I said, I, for whatever reason, I've, I've had him in the gun a bit, Zaki. I think because he immediately seemed to get Wonder Horse status without deserving it in my eyes a, li- a little bit and I thought he was over-fancied a, a few times there in, in the spring but um, he does, you know, I, ultimately I am a ratings punter and he does have a big bulk of ratings there that frankly it's it's hard to see how she would leap them if he's on. So I suppose there's your little angle that you're talking about. He was set for a Canterbury over 1,300, he turns up over a mile so is he soft? Can we get him to run low enough in his range? Can we get him to run? Basically, we need him to to run his Caulfield Stakes run to um to give her a shot at him. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's ridden as well because it is an extra three hundred meters on what he was being set for, and he's drawn the inside gate there. So um, initially, you would have thought they they wouldn't have wanted an absolute gut buster for him first up with the All Star Mile to come, but. It'll be interesting to see how um, Jamie Carr handles him from from gate one there tomorrow. Yeah, I can't see. Yeah. I can't see it being a gut buster. There's just not enough. There's no pressure in there really around there. So it's it's probably going to turn into a at best a building tempo and and hopefully not a, a farcical sit and sprint. Although to be honest, a sit and sprint might be a nice little way of of bringing him unravelled. I don't think he necessarily wants that. I know he's one off slow paces. He's one off good paces. But I think he's a much better horse with a, a genuine gallop, a true a true pace to run at. So um, if they are a little bit cute with it and they turn it into a sit and sprint, and Damien Lane, I reckon Damien Lane. I mean Ben Mellum's come back breathing fire, of course, but Damien Lane, I reckon, just having a look at some of the numbers of late, is uh, he's got the eye in at this at um at the right time of year. And um, I think he's um, he's smart enough to probably get Inspirational Girl going, get her moving. So if Zaki does play the um, sit and sprint and try and try and be a bit cute about it and she gets a, a run at him and some momentum, she'll um, she'll keep coming. And, and then maybe in a really slowly run race, that might be the, the scenario where we can get Zaki to run well below his best. So maybe that's the way to, to bring him unstuck. But I think if he rolls along and flows, he... He runs too well too often to say that he's one that you really want to take on. It, you know, as I said, the early market seems to really find inspirational girl. She's she's come up a bit trendy, and I feel like Mister Brightside's come up very trendy as well. So, um, whether I'm a Zaki hater or not, I find it hard drifting into to black figures to be to be really putting him in the gun on Saturday. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's good to have him down here. Who would have thought? Melbourne, 25 mils predicted on Saturday, and there's um, trainers falling over themselves to send horses down from Sydney to um, find better conditions than what they're dealing with in their home state. So I think I've seen it all now. Um, with that, another one that's coming down from Sydney, which I think is worthwhile touching on, is Overpass, just because just listening to a lot of radio and TV shows over the last 24 to 48 hours, I, I don't think I've found a... Uh, Guru, form guru, who hasn't got overpasses their best for the day in the English sprint. I think around about two dollars eighty went up into about two twenty as we speak right now, and I'd be very surprised if it doesn't start odds on. He's got a official handicap rating of one oh five. Your next best is sneaky five at ninety two, and then we're dealing with things in the seventies. So he does look very well placed. He's only got to give four and a half kilos to those that are right down the bottom and, and they're sixty four and seventy rated. So 
it looks his race to lose. How do you assess his prospects in that seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar English sprint? Yeah, I've um I mentioned him in I'll put up the um there's a best bets podcast as well. He didn't make it, but he was a he looked like a cheap way out. So I, all the gurus going that way, you cowards. <laughs> he um he runs anything like well I've got him one hundred and fifteen and next best for me is um sneaky five daily bugle who's going to be big odds and and is probably not twelve hundred first up at one hundred and three as as the next best and then um he's exceptional and Abel Willie at ninety nine and Abel Willie's comes up second pick in the betting and I can see that because he's up and going and he's ninety nine with a bullet to be honest he's um he's coming through a really strong race and his splits were good first up as well. So I sort of get that, but I yeah the RNS supercomputer I put the hamsters to work, put them on the wheel, and yeah they uh, they arrived at odds on as well, and that's largely because his last four ratings stand well clear of where any of these have been or where this race is likely to get to as well. So it does look a bit of a point and shoot job for for Josh Parr there, and, and no concern straight. We've seen him run really well in a Coolmore, one of those four ratings that was 109. So in the Coolmore that he ran to, he's ran to 115 and 14 this time, and Chase lost and running, who we're booming up as one of the big four sprinters in Australia. And if you're one of the big four sprinters in Australia, you're one of the big four sprinters in the world. So he's got um, he's got real form there against horses that um, don't. So I I get it. I get what the gurus are doing, but I still think they're taking the coward's way out. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to call myself a coward. Today, so I'm going to lump, lump myself in there as well. Um, yeah, it just does look a beautiful race for him, and uh, seven hundred and fifty grand as well. So um, it's a nice little carrot there for those that were the board out of the English sale. So, yep. Um, good luck well. to the team there. Yep. All right. Well, on Brad Bishop, he's a coward. We can sign off for the day. <laughs> yeah, happy to do it. Hopefully, we come back a winner next week. All right. I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>